Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This place is special. Get asked all the time, where's your favorite place to take college game day? And I say every time, Eugene, Oregon. This is the best crowd. Honestly, it's 6 in the morning here. Yeah. It's raining. They don't care. These fans right here, pound for pound, are as good as any college football fans in the country. This program is staged to compete and to win championships. Oregon is going to be in the championship game. Can you believe the magical season this has become? When we watch this film, does our effort beat theirs? Here's Bo Nix. Guns been making deposits. Time to cash the check. Sound at Austin, which is deafening for an Oregon 15-point win. Chip Kelly still does not have a win against his former school. We say farewell. Man, it feels great to be a duck. Welcome to the QB11 Show, presented by Scoop Duck, with Doug, Andrew, and J-Hop. Here are the guys with the latest scoop. Good afternoon and welcome back to the QB11 show presented by Scoop Tech. I am Doug Scott, joined as always by QB11 and today joined as well by Justin Hopkins from ScoopDuck.com. Welcome, gentlemen. Justin, how are you today? Doing great so far. Lots of fun things happening in, in, in the uh, Oregon world last couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, talk about a crazy, like, for a time that should be very quiet, right? Like, the the 99% of the... Uh, class is signed, season's over, um, coaching turnover is basically complete. We're past the coaching carousel now, uh, but just massive junior days, tons of 25 recruiting, some 24 recruiting nuggets, uh, transfer portal commitments, uh, rumors of potential players from Michigan hitting the portal, all kinds of stuff happening uh, over the last weekend. So lots to talk about today. Oh, I haven't heard any of this Michigan rumor, so you guys might have to clear me in on that. Obviously, the big news for Oregon, as we talked about on our last episode, QB, was Jabbar Muhammad committing to Oregon. And Justin, I know you've been following this story for quite some time, so why don't you kind of run us through it? And then, QB, if you want to talk again about what he brings to the table for Oregon, you know, by all means. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, clearly it's a great pickup for Oregon, and it's, you know, it's kind of almost a luxury pick, if you will. I think I think there was a need to stabilize the, the cornerback room, um, but, you know, on the other hand, I think Oregon, you know, could have survived without Muhammad. So, um, and I don't mean that to discredit him. It's, it's an awesome pickup, and it just shows how good of a player he is because I think 
you know, when, when Dan Lanning and Oregon saw him enter the portal, it's like, hey, let's go get this guy. We could definitely, you know, use a guy this caliber. So, you know, it, it, it was pretty clear that when he did enter the portal, you know, I, I think I said early on, you know, Oregon was, was maybe the team to beat. And if not the team to beat, they're up there in that top two, top three range. Um, immediately mentioned Texas as the other school that I think uh, would be com- competing for him, and that happened to be the case. I know Kalen DeBoer got to Alabama and and tried to make a run, but really it was kind of between Oregon and Texas. So um, just got to love the way that the staff stayed committed to recruiting him, got him on campus for the last visit, which was cr- crucial here. And as you can see, the rest is history. <laughs> yeah, this was a big commitment. Um, we, we had talked about him as a player in the last podcast, so I won't get too into the weeds. But, um, again, I, I – pleased to report i had heard um from a very reliable source that jaleel florence's knee injury is not serious it's a meniscus which means that he probably will be at least partially back for spring ball i'm sure they won't rush him and they'll take it slow but it doesn't sound like he's going to be missing any time during the year so just really bolstering corner depth giving you tons of flexibility to move guys around play different personnel packages um and also like be able to withstand an injury or two in the defensive backfield so uh, really, really nice um, pickup, and I think a player that immediately upgrades Oregon's defensive back room, probably steps onto campus as Oregon's best corner, um, and and puts us in a position to, to match up with some of the elite teams that we're going to have to play if we want to win a national title. Hey, Doug, you're you're in the portal. It's a robot. Yeah, Doug, you're in the portal. <laughs> All right, it's just you and I now, Justin. All right, well, we will pick up from there. Um, so let, let's talk about some of this, uh, some of this other portal movement. Um, so Justin, based off of uh, what we've seen so far, I think the Ducks now sit at eleven transfer portal commitments. Uh, what are we, what are we thinking in terms of Oregon's ability to take on more transfers, and if they were going to take a transfer, what position that would be at? Yeah, I think um, you know, as I sit here, and if you said, hey, give me two or three names that Oregon's targeting, I don't think there are two or three names that Oregon's targeting. I think I just don't think that there are any. Um, now that said, of course that can change. You and I both know that there's some uncertainty around Michigan. Who knows if that leads to more dominoes? And of course, then we've got April coming up in a couple months, and there will be another wave of transfers, both you know from Oregon and from other schools. So I, I think to answer your question, there's no names to provide, but I think if there's a position that Dan Lanning probably has his eye out there for, I think you could probably pinpoint to interior defensive linemen. Um, looking with, for somebody to either compete with or or kind of bolster with Jamari Caldwell, you know, who Oregon obviously added a couple weeks ago. I think that's the number one priority. I don't know, maybe safety, if, if there's an elite guy that jumps in the portal, um, you know, that might be a position. But otherwise, if we're just talking about position, that's it. You and I both know that you know, Dan Lanning, if, if, if a name hops in there and it's a guy that everybody in the world would offer, I think Dan Lanning's going to look at <laughs> how feasible it is to, you know, maybe make a run or what kind of offer Oregon can make there. Um, but, yeah, just positionally, I think we're talking about interior defensive linemen being the last piece that I think he needs. And it's kind of interesting because if you would have asked me when I woke up this morning if I thought an interior defensive lineman of enough quality would hit the portal to garner – like garner a committable offer from Oregon, I probably would have said it was unlikely in the second portal transfer window. But now there's quite a few rumors uh, coming out of the Michigan boards regarding both Kenneth Grant and Mason Grant, Kenneth Grant and Mason Graham, uh, who were the starting defensive tackles for the national title, national championship winning Michigan team this last year. 
Um, and there's also screenshots from the Michigan board of Kenneth Grant following both Steve Sarkeesian and Dan Lanning uh, this morning. So uh, maybe something to watch, maybe a potential target. I could tell you one thing because I've watched these guys extensively already. I'm trying to familiarize myself with some of the other Big Ten rosters. Kenneth Grant is a rare talent, and he would absolutely be probably target overall no, target number one if we started this portal cycle over again. Like he'd be right there with Walter Nolan. Um, so massive, massive talent there. And, and if if he hits the portal, I can imagine that the bidding war for a first round defensive tackle uh, is going to get extraordinarily competitive very quickly when you have Oregon and Texas in the mix yeah yeah I, I agree with you that's one of those guys obviously that does fill a need but i think even if oregon didn't need an interior defensive lineman they, they'd they'd look pretty hard at kenneth grant and of course you know as a podcast you and i are talking we're speculating we have no idea if they will or won't enter the transfer portal um obviously a lot can happen in college football in 24 hours let alone three or four weeks so i mean i would keep an eye out there and uh yeah, and shoot, who knows? Whatever happens with Michigan, they start pulling coaches, uh, you know, from other places. Um, I think that we could potentially see that April window being a little bit more active than we expected. Not so much because of head coaching dominoes, but more so because of of coordinator and assistant coach dominoes that that have kind of transpired over the last month or so. Yeah, and we'll see. I, I know the, the Michigan president has made some kind of disparaging con. Uh, comments in regards to nil and i know that they have kind of a different approach and so um maybe these kids were saying because of loyalty well if that staff continues to deteriorate with harbaugh's um exit to to the los angeles chargers like it has been to this point um there is there's still about 20 i'd say 23 days approximately left in the 30-day window that opens when you lose your head coach so um these guys at michigan wouldn't even have to wait until the spring portal window they could hit the portal tomorrow uh, and because Oregon's on the quarter system, um, Oregon's in an advantageous spot because you can get these kids in for spring, even though they probably wouldn't be able to enroll for the um, the winter semester at most schools. Right. No, you're right. The quarter system has really benefited Oregon there. I, I know that that actually, you know, played a part in the in the transfer with Jabbar Muhammad as well. It just Again, it wasn't like anything negative towards Texas's academics or anything like that. Just the the calendar aligned a little bit better there, and that was was part of it, not all of it. But um, again, that could be the case as well. And we're seeing like not to change subjects too much, but like with the spring game being announced for April twenty seventh, um, we're seeing that they're taking the same calendar approach that they took last year to the spring football period, where they'll have a few practices before spring break, go on spring break, and then they'll be able to bring in another wave of, of uh, early enrollee true freshmen, potential transfer portal guys that might not have been able to enroll mid-year. Um, so it, it's an opportunity to get your guys on campus because otherwise what ends up happening is you're forced to wait until the summer uh, for summer school to get them in and get them on campus and get them working out with your guys. So uh, they have to be enrolled in classes in order to be a part of the program. And so if they aren't enrolled, they can't show up until later. So you could lose, uh, or in the case of Oregon, you could gain – three, four months worth of development familiarity with the staff and the campus and the, and the team. Um, and so that's, that's a big, that's a, uh, an untalked about um, aspect of this, I think is, is pretty big at times. No, you're right. I mean, we've, we've talked, it's become more common, right. For the, you know, for a lot of these guys to enroll early and whatnot. And, but yeah, there's still those outliers that are either late transfers or just weren't able to get uh, graduated early. 
uh, well, there's oftentimes a lot of those guys can get graduated, you know, two months later, three months later, whatever the case is, and make it for that window. And like you said, maybe you don't make every practice, but shoot, even if you make half of spring ball, and then like you said, you can carry that forward uh, with those workouts and then roll right into summer workouts, you know, that takes a lot of the sting out of it for you and makes it so that when you start fall camp, those guys are obviously better conditioned, better nutritioned, and just kind of more up to speed and can kind of hit the ground running. That way, if you are counting on them, you know, that first year, you're not just kind of like throwing buckets of water on their face and saying go. Um, no, it's been a, a huge thing for Oregon. I think Dan Lanning has done a tremendous job taking advantage of that uh, loophole, if you will. Yeah, yeah, and I think Dylan Williams is going to be a perfect example of that because I saw he just posted last week he was having his last day of high school. Um, I don't know that he would be able to get up to Eugene and get enrolled in time for uh, this winter sem- uh, quarter, uh, but he'll certainly be ready for qu- for spring quarter, which means that he'll be able to practice with the team this spring and get valuable reps. So uh, an example of that. Speaking of um, class of 2024 guys, there's one big recruit left on the board in – uh, five-star receiver Gatlin Bear out of Idaho. Uh, what, what's the latest on him, Justin? Yeah, I think um, this has really been a methodical recruitment for Oregon. You know, it's somebody that they, you know, if we go all the way back, they recruited him heavily back in the spring, you know, when he was kind of getting started in the recruiting process. And, you know, of course, through that process, Boise State, Michigan, Oregon kind of, you know, emerged from the pack, um, you know, Bear committed, or excuse me, Gatlin Bear committed to Boise State first, which we're well about, where about, you know, they got rid of Andy Avalos and moved on there, so that opened things back up. It's been Oregon and Michigan ever since, with with most and myself feeling coming, you know, coming out of that decommitment that Michigan was the team to beat, and I think that's fair. But I think Oregon did a really good job of sticking with it, knowing this is a guy that they've always wanted and have a high priority on their list. And ultimately, you know, I think that Oregon was methodical just kind of saying, hey, you know, don't make an immediate decision. You're going to take a mission. You've got time. You know, maybe extend making a commitment and not signing early anywhere because there's a lot of talk about Harbaugh. And I think, you know, Oregon wasn't negative. They weren't negative recruiting, but, you know, it was just kind of a realistic approach to, hey, I mean, his name's popping up for all these jobs and you've got time, there's no need to make a decision. And as you can see, that's played out the right way. You know, Harbaugh did obviously go to the Chargers. Oregon has stayed diligent the entire time. Um, and, and I think that's really paid off because, I mean, the one thing right now that has Dan Lanning in the conversation for virtually anybody is the way he came out and praised stability and, the, and praised that he wanted to be at Oregon. And if you're, you know, Gatlin Bear you kind of look at that and say, well, this head coach just left. I do realize that, you know, it might be Sharon Moore who's been there, but some of the other pieces have moved around. If I want that stability when I come back from my mission, it certainly looks like Oregon's to play. I just think that all of that, along with Junior Adams, has, has really put Oregon as the team to beat, and I don't think a, a commitment is imminent, but if I was putting in a crystal ball or a prediction today, I, I do feel like I would be placing it in favor of Oregon. Yeah, I, I can see that. And I think that one of the things that we talked about when it happened at the time was the way that Oregon was able to, it wasn't negative recruiting at all, but to spin the, hey, we're announcing Dan is staying at Oregon as our head coach for the foreseeable future. But during the announcement, we said, hey, if you're worried, literally said, if you're worried about your coach going somewhere else, they come to us because uh, our coach isn't going anywhere. And it's like that was such brilliant marketing in the way that they flipped that and created that narrative 
and I think we've seen that echoed. I mean, I've been reading a lot of your updates and other updates posted on the Scoop Duck board about 2025 prospects. Now, we'll get there in just a second, but I've, I'm noticing a reoccurring theme of, hey, like we see the trajectory of the Oregon program, and seeing Dan Lanning turn down Alabama tells us everything we need to know about how long he's going to be there, what's going on there, and where that program is headed. And um, I, I think Gatlin Bear is a prime example of, of the power of that messaging, um, specifically because from a, from an offense standpoint, specifically now that an offensive line coach is the head coach over there, it's it's pretty clear to me that Oregon, from a scheme standpoint, is going to be a better fit for Bear. Um, and then as a player, I didn't before his senior season. I was I was unsure about Bear. I he was a guy that I knew obviously was extraordinarily fast. He had clocked a 10 one, 8, 100 meter as a junior in high school, which is just freaking absurd, especially for a kid from Idaho. Um, but it was like tough to say like how good of an actual wide receiver is this guy because he's playing against uh, the little sisters of the poor and <laughs> and no one no one on the field is even close to the athlete he is that can challenge him um, and 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 really like make him be a good good round well rounded player. Uh, and then you see him go down to San Antonio for the Army Bowl and just look incredible. Like, body control, the ability to change directions and change speeds, which, frankly, for most track guys, that's my first question. It's like, okay, so you're geared to run 100 meters in a straight line, um, which sometimes can result in guys that are a little bit stiff, that struggle to change directions, don't have the same fluidity um, that some other types of athletes might have. And you see Gatlin Bear out there running one-on-ones and the ability to stop, start, get in and out of breaks, um, be fluid in, in his lateral change of direction and then also make really impressive adjustments on the ball showing both a tremendous athletic body control uh, and ball skills so all of that I understand why the rating systems I believe on three made him a five star today as well um, to go along with 247 and rivals big time talent um, obviously you have to try to hold on to him for two years but uh, I think proximity to home will also play a factor here for Oregon down the stretch just just a really big-time player. Um, and when you think about where receiver recruiting was here, like two weeks before early signing day where it was like uh, Dylan Gresham is visiting Texas, uh, <laughs> we're in a position where we might only sign Jack Ressler to you, you hold on to Dylan Gresham, you add Jeremiah McClellan from Ohio State, you add Ryan uh, Pelham from USC, and now you're in a position where you're probably going to add a, a, a five-star, borderline five-star receiver in Gatlin Bear to finish off the class. Junior Adams just putting in absolute work, um, and that seems to be carrying over to the 25 class where he has a commitment from Dallas Wilson, who's a consensus five-star uh, prospect, and Adrian Wilson already with crystal balls flowing in for both Marcus Harris and Cooper Perry, uh, two high-end West Coast prospects in the 2025 class. Yeah, not to mention the the transfers that he was able to add as well. Evan Stewart, you know, obviously one of the biggest names in the transfer portal. Um, no, that wide receiver room is has really come around and is is you know ultimately really really stacked for this year for next year for two years from now um it, it's uh it's pretty remarkable to see what junior has been able to do and and like you said you know you touched on it earlier but you know i under to be competing in the big 10 you know along you know with washington usc but if you're it all of that aside conference affiliation aside if you're Dan Lanning, you're still wanting to raid the West Coast, regardless of who other teams are or what conference they're in. And right now, your only competition is Washington and USC. So you're preaching that stability, saying, hey, look, Washington just had a coaching change. They've now got a guy that doesn't have a history of staying at schools very long. Um, you know, that's something to watch there. And as far as USC, you know, 
Lincoln Riley. A lot of folks do link him to the NFL often. Had some uh, coaching turnover on his roster, obviously, with the defensive side of the ball specifically this year. You know, you're really just kind of competing against those two schools out west, outside of when Alabama and Georgia or Ohio State come over here. And, uh, you know, kind of being able to preach what Oregon has, being in the Big Ten, the stability, the roster, the winning, all of that really looks like Oregon's poised to just be a kind of a monster on the West Coast. And if they can, you know, add a couple of the national guys here and there and get some defensive linemen out of the Midwest or off the East Coast, um, this thing should be very sustainable for a long time for Lanning, for sure. Yeah, what we're seeing specifically with defensive prospects, but I've been – um, when when the when this wide receiver room was inherited, other than Troy Franklin, things weren't looking great. Um, the quarterback room was a complete disaster. It was it, it, the quarterback position under the previous staff had been completely mismanaged, and now going into year three with Dan Lanning, they've completely flipped the wide receiver room, and the quarterback room is probably in the best shape it's ever been in. You have Dylan Gabriel uh, as your starter going into the next season. You have Dante Moore, who has t- his starts under his belt and just extreme upside and massive talent as your backup quarterback. And then you have guys like Austin Novosad, Luke Moga, um, going to be third, competing for the third spot uh, and likely not playing much this year. And then you have Achilles Smith Jr., who is a legacy prospect, but also happens to, like in my opinion, based off what I've seen, I would rate him no lower than the third best quarterback in this class um, coming in next year. So it's it's uh, pretty insane when you hire a defensive head coach. I don't know that you expect him to be able to flip um, the offensive roster, and especially at the premium position. Like, other than tackle, I think that wide receiver and quarterback are by far the most important positions on offense. Um, and they had a lot of work to do, and the staff has done that work and really uh, positioned Oregon in a, in a place where I don't know that there's too many better quarterback or wide receiver rooms nationally. Uh, yeah, no, I, I nationally definitely and definitely not on the West Coast. And and like you said, it's not just adding um, starters, you know, to the roster. It's, hey, let's get a guy that we can develop for a year or two. That's It's finding, you know, defensive linemen and offensive linemen that aren't day one starters, but you're adding them because they're, they project really well and you think that they could be, you know, the successor in two to three years after getting developed. So um, it's just unreal to see. You know, you and I could nitpick here about, okay, well, they could maybe use another linebacker, maybe an interior defensive lineman, whatever. But we're doing just that. We're nitpicking because this roster, top to bottom, is really built right now to compete with, I mean, I mean it certainly looks like anybody out there, and especially after what, you know, happened at Alabama with all the departures on the coaching change. You know, you got to believe that Oregon's got probably a, a top five roster in the country, and it's because they are – you know, have talent at the starting position and depth behind them at nearly every position. It's pretty incredible, really. It, it's also the way the talent is distributed because it's across all the classes. Like, you have you have some really high-end transfer portal players. You have some experienced players. But you've also recruited two elite prep classes back-to-back. I mean, if you add Gatlin Bear to this Oregon class, it then goes to the third-rated class in the entire country in the 247 sports composite uh, behind only Georgia and Alabama. And frankly... I think that Alabama class is counting some players. It is. It's counting players like Julian Sain who aren't actually going to to Alabama. So uh, Oregon um, might end up with what would be the, at worst case, the third-rated class um, in the 247 sports composite, and it would also be the highest-rated class by a pretty wide margin in the history of the program, an average player rating of over .92, 
just just nutty. Um, and and when you partner it with the transfer portal work that's been done, the the retention like Oregon is not losing top players to other programs in the transfer portal. Uh, what what Dan Lanning and Marshall Malco and staff have put together is truly incredible and honestly something I never thought I would see at Oregon. Um, I look at this roster. I know we had a conversation about this last week, but I look at this roster and my only question is like. I think Amari Washington is actually going to be more than ready to be the starting nose tackle. If you could add a experienced high level nose tackle to rotate with him and have Caldwell out there at the three technique with some of the other guys on the roster, you're now looking at like really a roster with no holes. Um, and, and, and by far the best roster in Oregon history. So uh, it's a really exciting time to be a duck. And I think that um, you, you hit the nail on the head in regards to the work that the staff has done. Um, flipping the roster and just building it the right way with depth through the high school ranks um, and sprinkling in high-level transfer uh, portal prospects. Well, that's been my favorite part is that they haven't leaned one way or the other. And like you said, the, 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 the class distribution is really strong. It's not like, hey, we've got a really strong defensive line group to compete this year, but then we're going to have to hit the portal hard. You know, I think they've done a good job kind of getting it to where it's, it's solid right now but there's talent behind it and then if any of those guys don't develop you know they're able to go back into the portal and fill those holes and fill those gaps so they're not relying on just transfer guys yeah 100 percent specifically like just a nice when you build through the high school ranks you always have good prospects coming up behind right so you're you're putting yourself in a position where if aiden breland steps on campus and is a complete dog and can play right away it he's he's ready to go um but he doesn't have to be, right? Like, you're not forced to play guys before they're ready. Um, and, and that just creates good competitive depth where the cream will rise to the top and, and the guys who don't rise to the top will transfer, but then it just creates more room to bring in additional talent. So it's uh, it's like a self-filtration process to, to make sure that you are able to have first right of refusal to retain the best players available. Um, and, I, and, I, and I'm looking forward to seeing kind of what that looks like this spring and moving into the fall on the team. Uh, but I'm also really looking forward to seeing how this 2025 recruiting class continues to be put together because we had a massive junior day last weekend. It sounds like there's another big junior day coming up this coming weekend. Um, what do you have to report on in regards to 2025 recruiting? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's pretty evident that Oregon, um, again, just like last year in 2024, they're going to fill two-thirds of this uh, recruiting class by July, by August. And, you know, you could see that you've got um, some of the top targets that are already making second or third or even fourth trips back to Oregon already, and it's just January. So, so far, you know, the one thing I've talked about a half, uh, you know, obviously I'm just kind of really honing in on the 25s versus the 26 and 27s. Uh, but just from those guys, the one thing that stands out is is every one of them mentions the stability at Oregon. Like that has resonated with so many kids that – I mean, I, I, I know when Dan Lanning said it, I'm like, oh, he's definitely going to use this on the recruiting trail. But I didn't, I guess I didn't really, <laughs> I didn't really expect it to resonate like it has. So that's been great. Um, you know, I talked to Deon, Deandre Waverly, uh, for example, uh, tight end, four-star out of Washington. You know, I mean, basically told me Oregon's on top and that, you know, he's, he's made his fifth trip already to Oregon. Um, you know, the running backs are, you know, Coach Lachlan continues, Dyer Hill Jr. Uh, those guys are just, you know, really eating it up. And, 
We talked about receiver earlier. It looks like Oregon's going <laughs> to kind of have to be selective almost moving forward at wide receiver. So, um, yeah, just, you know, the staff really has done a great job identifying these guys early. They do a tremendous job with the, um, what do I want to call it? But the, you know, the recruiting where it's multiple coaches involved, not just one coach, you know, so you've got yeah. GAs or assistants or recruiting guys. You know, I often ask them who they have the best relationship with. One of my questions I like to ask, and I'll get two or three names. And so, you know, that type of of recruiting uh, at Oregon, I think, pays off as well. So, um, like I said, you know, they've done it right. I, I have no doubt that, once again, we're going to be looking at more than likely a top five recruiting class. Um, more than likely, these young men will probably be committed um, before July, I bet you Oregon will have at least half of the class committed um, probably by the spring game, if I had to guess, or shortly after. So it certainly looks like March and April will be fun. Um, you know, February will be a quiet month, and that's just what's going to happen every year. That's the month <laughs> and, and decompress after a, a six-month uh, marathon. But, uh, you know, they'll roll right back into it in March and April. And, and I once again, I'm going to assume that the spring game probably has another 30 names on there. And, you know, some of the best of the best in the country will be in Eugene for that weekend. Yeah, I uh, couldn't agree more. So um, with all that momentum and everything going on, I know that there's been a lot of attention being shined. And I think it's it's warranted both because of a need standpoint, given that you're going to be losing both uh, Terrence Ferguson and Justin Herbert to graduation this next year. Um, but also it seems to be a really loaded tight end class nationally next year. Um, and I know Oregon's probably going to be taking two. Would you agree with that, that Oregon's going to take two? Oh, yeah. I would say minimum two. Um, you know, I just mentioned Tianjay Waverly. He's a four-star. Um, Bear Tenney, also a four-star out of Utah via Arizona, via Texas. Uh, you know, both those guys have been pretty vocal that they really like Oregon. And Oregon's in such a great position that, you know, I think they're at worst in the top two or, you know, the absolute worst top three for Nate Roberts and Lincoln Cure and Desan Brom, and all three of those guys are elite tight ends. And I think that out of those three, I think Oregon could very easily get two and might not have room for a guy like Bear Tenney or Tianjie Waverly, which is crazy to think about because those are, you know, top top 200-level guys, and Oregon's, you know, recruiting top 50, top 100 guys at the position. And so uh, I think we're going to see a lot of that at, at all those positions, but tight end is one that – I think there's some good players at tight end. Kenyon Sadiq did well last year, came in, you know, played a little bit. I know Oregon signed some guys. Pugliano's injured. We'll see what happens there. Cade Caton, those guys. But if you can get some surefire elite game changers in this class, I think that's the move here for Oregon, and I think they're really selling those guys that they would have an opportunity to come in and compete early, which they certainly would. Yeah, I know um, there's been some crystal balls. I believe you put in a prediction, correct me if I'm wrong, for Deshaun Brame. Um, to commit to Oregon. I know he's visiting this coming weekend for the next big junior day alongside some other big-time prospects, including Dallas Wilson, who in a most recent interview with On3 um, mentioned that he's extremely firm in his commitment to Oregon. So uh, great great news on that front. Do you think that this is a weekend that could produce a commitment for Deshaun Brame? Tough to say. I mean, you know, obviously there's been some uh, predictions for him. I think Chad Simmons was one of them as well. I can't remember if Wilt Fong was, but I think yep, Wilt Fong has pulled the trigger as well. Okay. Yeah, there was some 24-7 guys as well. So certainly seems to be a lot of smoke there. And, and you know, I haven't heard, at least from Oregon side, that anything's imminent. You know, a lot of times they're they're kind of preparing for that and getting things ready. 
Um, but I do think it's possible. So, yeah, I mean, a, a good visit. Uh, if he comes into the visit kind of ready to, to pull the trigger, um, you know, that could be great. But I think, I think Oregon still needs to kind of, like, move over the hump, if you will. And maybe that doesn't mean that he commits by Sunday, but possibly, you know, next week or yeah. within two weeks we might get news of it. Yeah, I think if you're if you're Oregon and you're looking at the situation that you're in, where you're in, certainly like striking distance for you probably. I would assume that the top three start targets, just based off my own film study, would be um, Lincoln Cure, Roberts, and and Brame. Those are the top three guys. And so if you could secure one of those threes, I think one of those three early, it probably allows you to be more patient and picky while with kind of holding off on Waverly, holding off on Tenney. Um, and pursuing those other two targets to try to get one of Cure and Roberts to join Brame. Um, do you agree with that? That like get, being able to add a high-level prospect like Brame early would allow them to uh, be a little bit more patient and picky in regards to the the second tight end spot. A hundred percent. Yeah, and I think that's why you know you have uh, Bear Tinney and you have Teandre Waverly visit this past weekend like they did. You put yourself in a great spot there, but yeah, you're kind of holding off to see what Brame does. And if you can get that one, then, yeah, I don't think there's any rush to push for, you know, uh, Tenney or Waverly. And I think you you are kind of in a position where you say, okay, at this point, all we need is one of, you know, Nate Roberts or Lincoln Cure. Let's push hard on those two guys. Um, I think that's what you do if you're Oregon. That's how I'd play it. Yep, I agree. And to me, like, the one thing is, is we've had staffs in the past where I think about something like, all right, well, this is a pretty common sense approach. And then they do something stupid and and Dan and Marshall have not done a single thing stupid since they've been here, uh, which gives me a lot of confidence. Now you did mention that February was looking like a, like a slow month. I don't think it's going to be slow for visits. And, it, and if you can add um, Gatlin bear, I think that would at least add some fireworks to the month of February. So you guys will want to stay tuned to scoop um, for the latest on those recruitments as that, cause we're going to be getting really close. I believe that the second national signing day is next week. Isn't Is it not? Uh yeah, what are we? Second, uh, I think the it's first the, Wednesday of February. First Wednesday of February, yeah, um yeah. So they'll have visits this weekend, and then uh you know, and that'll you know obviously that is February, and then uh, yeah, that Wednesday will be uh, the the second and final signing day. Yeah, so a lot to watch, um, a lot to to tune in for. Um, things we are in the quote unquote off season, but uh, we we're right on the on the heel on the heels of the season signing day transfer portal moves and then the in in the not so distant future uh we'll be talking about spring ball um i know we're we're in the process of working on getting some some awesome guests um on the show uh to to add additional insight so um today's going to be a shorter podcast but we wanted to at least get something out for you guys and um we really appreciate all the support uh make sure to follow the podcast uh, at qb11 show on twitter uh, my my at is at qb11sd on twitter uh, Justin is at Justin Hopkins SD, uh, and then make sure to subscribe to Scoop Duck so you can stay up to date on all the latest recruiting information and portal portal buzz. Um, I think the portal stuff's going to be calming down, but all it would take is one of these Michigan uh, <laughs> defensive linemen jumping in the portal, and I think things would get pretty hot and heavy again. Well, thank you, Justin. I know uh, Doug unfortunately was not able to make it through the entire episode just because of some internet and connect- connectivity issues at work. Um, but we're going to get that all sorted out so that we can get these more regular episodes with the three of us out to you guys. Uh, Thanks again for all your support. Make sure to leave a five-star review, and we will talk to you next week.